Welcome back, Double Teamed fam. This is Cami introducing us as always. Today we have another special guest with us, another conversation we want to have. So here with us today is Gabrielle Smith. She is a writer and non-monogamy educator, and we're very excited to just kind of have a Q&A sesh with her. Of course, Nikki's here. But yeah, Gabby, if you want to say hello. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Of course. (laughs) Thank you for coming on. We're definitely very excited. When we began our poly journey, you were one of the first people that I started following on social media and I've always appreciated your content. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Now, I don't know how many of our listeners here know or follow you, so we'll kind of just begin in the you know, the very start of it all. Yeah, let's get into it. Yep. My first question that I wanted to ask you was, what was kind of your introduction into non-monogamy or polyamory? For example, with Kimi and I, we started reading reverse harems and that's kind of yeah. where it stemmed from. So what was that for I you? I love that because mine is kind of similar. I was reading, I was really big into like fanfic, not fanfic, but like online fiction, Quizella. Yeah. So one of them, the main character, she essentially like was in a love triangle. Of course, mm. it was vampire fiction. Oh, nice. My <laughs> yes. So there was some sort of, I don't remember the conflict, but they essentially, she was like, you know what? I'm not going to pick whoever can kill the most of our enemies. I'll go with you. You'll be my guy. And they killed an even amount of people. So she just picked both of them. And I was like, this makes sense. (laughs) This makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So then I guess from that, I always knew it was an option. Mm -hmm. And I come from like a less traditional family structure. Like my parents are 20 years apart. My mom was a sex worker. Well, my mom was a dancer specifically. And my dad owned the strip club that she worked at. So it was always not sex positive, but sex neutral. Yeah. Yeah. So those things were always floating around or possible, I guess, even if they weren't, say, encouraged. So that was mostly it. (laughs) So do you definitely feel that your parents encouraged sexuality in the sense of the freedom to explore it and however you wanted it to? Was that kind of the environment? It was encouraged, and that's why I say sex neutral, but Mm -hmm. it was like if I ever had a question, my mom would answer it. Hmm. But like my father, say, has never slut-shamed me. Nice. While my mom has had certain opinions, she was very much like when I was 18 and I had a boyfriend, I was he was allowed to sleep over because she was kind of like, I'd rather you do that at home than like, say, get into trouble having sex in a parking lot in a car, <laughs> um, those kind of things, to the point where she thought I was having sex way earlier than I was. So it was kind of like that. It was like, if you need something, it's here, but like not... The conversation wasn't encouraged. Mm-hmm. She just gave you a safe space. Yeah, essentially. So. In case you did want to Mm -hmm. explore or have questions. I love that. And I think that's how it should be, honestly. On some previous episodes, we've discussed teaching children and, you know, your kids and everything about sex because I think that's where a lot of it can stem, a lot of that positivity or at least, or like you said, neutrality Mm -hmm. where, you know, they at least feel safe to explore the things that they want to or parents can answer those questions honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Those are huge. Yeah. It's nice because I think I was allowed to be who I wanted to be, even if... When the open relationship thing came up, because I was in an open relationship when I was 18, my mom was like not happy about that particularly. And she was like, well, you can't be bringing everybody home. And I was like, well, that makes sense. I have younger siblings. So I kind of explored that and I was very open with her. So what was that first relationship like? What was the structure? How did you guys come about that? So my first boyfriend, I met him when I was like 15. We were friends for a while. Then we started dating when we were both 17. 
So for, I would say, the first year or so, everything was good. It took a really long time for us to have sex because I, I'm big on research, <laughs> which is how I got into this role. So I was like, okay, sex doesn't have to be painful, no mm-hmm. matter how much everybody says it is. Yes. So I was so afraid of like that whole like, oh, it's supposed to hurt when your hymen breaks, but like yeah. you use lube. Like I was scared about getting pregnant, everything. Right. But once we started having sex, which took about like a year and a half in, I very quickly, I think, Or I'll stop and say my jobs were very like based off of being visible and like capitalizing on my sexuality. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I worked in the food industry. So at first I was a host and then I went on to work in the casinos as like a bottle girl and stuff. So I was always in those environments where people were constantly soliciting my attention. And eventually I had only slept with one person. I had only really kissed one person. And I was curious. And I think because I also was openly bisexual with my partner, it was always on the table that I could date a girl. So eventually one point when I was working, I was flirting with a guy and I gave him my number. And I felt so bad about it. Literally, my boyfriend was coming to pick me up from work and I told him and I was, maybe we should break up because I had mentioned an open relationship before and he hadn't been open for it. So he said, yes. He said, no, let's do that instead. And I was like, okay. And this is where I would say it, this wasn't ethical because I feel like he was coerced into it a little bit because it was either, okay, I get to keep this person or I get to keep this person and let them have sex with other people. So in that time, like people really like thought it was funny that I was in an open relationship. But in that, the rest of our relationship, which was like a year, I just had sex with two people. Like it wasn't, me like, oh, I'm going to like figure this out. I'm going to like get my slut card immediately. I was just really interested in other people. And things like flirting with others had been on the table, dancing with people. It was always very open. We were very comfortable because we were in this like nerdy little friend group. One of our mutual, very close friends was one of his ex-girlfriends. So I think we just kind of all understood and were very open about it, which was actually very funny because he came from a very heavily Christian household. (laughs) So as the reverse of being able to sleep in my bed at my home, I had to sleep on different floors with my first boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) And they acted like we weren't having sex. (laughs) But we certainly were. We were just waiting for them to go to sleep. Yeah. Well, I mean, at that age, you're... At that age? At that age, you you want something. (laughs) Yeah. The hormones in you. (laughs) It had. And I mean, if we're talking about the actual definition of sex, which is just, I was having sex a few months into that relationship, but no penetrative sex until like a year and a half in. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Our relationship ended because we just grew out of each other. It had nothing to do with the open relationship. It's just, we were, it was time for it to end. (laughs) Well, I mean, and that's a very fast paced time. I feel like when you're, especially when you're around 18 to 25, a lot of things are changing for you. So much. And you're realizing that, oh, okay, now I'm going into the real world. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the times, you know, that's when you find, you know, those high school sweethearts or those college relationships coming to a quick end because everybody's like, oh shit, I don't know who I am. Yeah. I need to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. Like he wanted to stay in that town. I wanted to move back to New York. I'm from New York originally. So it just made sense that we stopped dating. Nice. I think it's amazing that at 18, you both had the communication to talk about it openly. Yeah, I think so. One of the things is your home life, I think, dictates how you respond to things. And right. I grew up seeing a lot of dysfunctional communication. Oh. So I think a lot of people either lean into that or go against it. And my response was, 
I'm never doing this. <laughs> we can relate. Yeah. yeah. We can Our relate parents had so terrible, much. terrible communication. So we were always the type that, especially amongst the two of us, we were like, that's not how we're going to approach communication. Mm-hmm. We're going to do the complete opposite and just talk about every single feeling we have. My parents were not the type to really communicate well or effectively. So I think that's awesome and, and really a good way to put it. Uh, now, as far as where it progressed from there, did you have other non-monogamous relationships? Were you ever monogamous or has it always been kind of that? So after that relationship, I was single for like two years. And then I'd had a few things going on. I'd met my, I look call him like a comment partner now, Doug, shortly after I broke up with my first boyfriend. And I don't know, he was very much, I never want to be in a relationship again, all of these things. And I think that also opened my eyes to it. He was like 13 years older than me. So I think that also implied the relationship a lot where I was, well, maybe this, if it becomes something, won't have to be monogamous. Mm -hmm. So that's someone who's kind of always been in my life now. So when I met my ex-boyfriend, we both wanted non-monogamy in some shape or form. Mm -hmm. The relationship was monogamous for a period of time for the majority of it. But we knew it would be open. Now, here's the thing with trauma bonding and all of those things when you meet someone is that I got very, very scared and was like, I think I could only swing or do threesomes Mm -hmm. from starting at the beginning of fully embracing the idea of polyamory to going to, no, I, I can't do this. Which is funny now, considering my life. So we did, we had a lot of talks about it and we eventually broke up because he wasn't being honest about being okay with that. Mm -hmm. And the other half of our relationship was working towards that. So we were polyamorous, I would say the last few months of our relationship. And that was fine. It just, the communication wasn't there. We did don't ask, don't tell. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love the facial expression <laughs> because exactly, we did don't ask, don't tell, which really means you're not ready. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, it was more so as an adjustment. It was supposed to be an adjustment period. And I wanted to share these things. And I didn't mind hearing that he was with other people. The issue was that he didn't feel comfortable being honest with me because he was afraid of my reaction. Mm-hmm. The, oh, yeah. yeah That's the, typical for men. Yeah, Exactly. The course of our relationship, it was very much... My anxiety was untreated and it was so bad. When you have people who are like kind of codependent, because that's what that relationship was for both of us, he put his needs above mine. Mm -hmm. But that resulted in me like texting him or blowing up his phone and he didn't respond to me. And Mm -hmm. then he'd call me and be like, oh, I'm with my friends. Like, it's fine. And I'm like, okay. And in the morning he was like, no, I was with a girl. Well, why didn't you just say that? Like, it's not about you being with a girl. It's the idea that you are ignoring me that's really bothering me. Yeah, and that you didn't say the truth. Yeah. Yeah, so we got into that loop for a few months and we ended up breaking up. So that was that. Then I moved to New York, I want to say eight months later. And Mm -hmm. me and my boyfriend's, my current partner, his wife liked to make a joke that he's still in our youth because I think a month after moving to New York, I met him. Oh, wow. <laughs> and we're still together now. And That's he's great. So my, my current partner is married. Okay. Yes. We went into the relationship. I knew that. I was like open for it. I was mm-hmm. totally fine. And we got very caught up in like the fact that we actually had a very genuine connection. Like it made sense. Your first date was six hours. Oh, wow. <laughs> a long date. Yeah. Um, and we just, you Like know. talking for six hours? No. (laughs) Activity? Okay. No, well, like we met. So he was coming from dinner with a friend and his wife. So we met around 10. 
And then we went to a separate bar, and then he he does this to everybody. And I make a joke. I'm like, you lure women out to Greenpoint, which is far mm-hmm. for oh. most people. There's one train line. And then he goes, you know, I have a car. And he's like the most harmless human being ever. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I have a car. Like, I can drive us to the next place. Or I can drive you home if you want that. So then he gets a little kiss. My partner's an art fabricator. He makes oh. furniture and stuff. Yeah. He'll be like, do you want to see the studio? Uh, <laughs> so we like we did hook up on our first date hey, and then he that. drove me home so. Nothing wrong <laughs> nothing's wrong with that yeah. I always say you have to do a test drive you have to test drive the people who get married without having sex bless your heart Art. yeah I don't know how they do it <laughs> I went on a date with a guy and we hit it off so well mm-hmm. it was so fun the next day he literally came over because we just wanted to continue Mm-hmm. And he came over, and we had dinner, and mm-hmm. we had sex, and it was terrible. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, after we both just stopped talking to each other, didn't even, like, give it another chance. We were just no communication. I was, okay, I was waiting. I was like, maybe he'll text me. He finally reached out a little bit later, and he was like, hey, how are you? I'm like, oh, I'm good. How are you? He's mm-hmm. like, I'm doing great. Oh, okay. You know, I think we both just, like, came to the conclusion that we're like, okay. The mutual fade. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I, love I appreciated that. <laughs> He's a great guy, and yeah, I think he'd be a dope friend, but that was, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My husband and I also hooked up on our first date, and I thought he was going to be a one-night stand. Oh, I was like, <laughs> I'm moving to New York. I'm getting my roster together. This guy's yes. married. <laughs> this is beautiful. Like, I was just trying to get a little rotation, yeah. and then I was like— Fuck. Literally, <laughs> the next time we hung out, he met all of my friends. Wow. I know. Because um, they came into town for Pride. Oh. So I, I was like, that. oh, you can come meet us. He, he'd gotten sexiled, which back in the day, I met him and his wife. They were very active. So they live in a one bedroom. So basically, if somebody um, needed the apartment, the other person had to go find something to do for a few hours. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So he's like, yeah, I'm either going to go rock climbing. And I was well, me and my friends are getting a drink here if you want to join us. So yeah, he met my best friend, my roommate, well, my old roommate, and then my current roommate, who's my childhood best friend. And everybody was, yeah, he seems fine. When we were walking back, I was walking him to his car. And I was just like, I just really like you a lot. I think we shouldn't have sex right now because it's really distracting. We lasted a week. Well, you know that honeymoon phase, you just kind of like yeah. want to fuck all the time. You got to enjoy it. Yeah. Like you fall asleep and wake up at like three in the morning and just start at it. Yeah, then- yeah, exactly. I'm like, who is that person? The pandemic has stolen so much of my like energy. <gasps> oh, yeah. <laughs> no. okay. Yeah. So that's kind of technically a V if he's married. and then Yeah, her and I, we're friends. We're yeah. pretty good friends, I would say. No, her and I don't. We don't have sex. We're not in a relationship. We are just the best definition of sister wives, honestly. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. That's kind of yeah. how my, my husband's girlfriend, my meta, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. how her and I are as well. Love her as a person. We have a group chat. We text all the time. But I don't have any feelings for her in the sense of like a relationship or anything. Now, outside of your V, do you date other people? Do you practice like solo poly, anything like that? Yeah. So I identify as solo polyamorous, which okay. was something I found while I was dating him. Because my whole goal was I lost myself in my previous relationship. And mm-hmm. I really wanted to redefine myself. That's why I didn't want to get into a relationship. But actually being in a relationship with somebody who essentially was giving me everything I needed, everything that I had kind of asked for in a previous relationship and not received or like had been kind of made to feel inadequate about, Mm -hmm. showed me that, oh, fuck, I'm 
one, not asking for too much, but two, because I can't picture that traditional future with this man, I still get to build my own future. Right. Mm. And I felt really comfortable in that. So even like without my current partner, whose name is Alex, I would still be solo polyamorous because I think it just fits me and my heart and my lifestyle better. I know when, at least when we entered polyamorous, because we've been non-monogamous and then recently entered polyamory, there are a lot of structures to it. There's so many. So many. And it's it's a little overwhelming at first, not going to lie, but I remember solo poly was probably one of the last ones I learned about just because obviously having been married, I approached everything from a different perspective. And so learning about solo poly and I date a girl that is, Mm -hmm. essentially she practices solo poly. And And I think that's fascinating. One thing I really like about it is, you know, just that, kind of everyone makes their own decisions. Because sometimes when I look at my marriage, for example, my husband and I, obviously like we have a future together. We Mm -hmm. live together. We started off monogamous and, you know, now we're non-monogamous and everything. And I look at our future and I almost think that what we want to do is kind of be like married solo poly, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're just functionally autonomous human beings. Yeah, exactly. Do you see your relationship continuing? So, Let's talk about hierarchy, right? Yeah. Um, (laughs) Our favorite. There are two types of hierarchy. And I found this out from Chill Polyamory. I don't know if you follow her. I don't. Um, She was the first account I followed. I recently Chill Polyamory? Chill Polyamory. Her name's Morgan. I actually met her recently because she came back into town. She lived in New York for a long time, but she lives in Germany right now. Oh, wow. Sweetest human being ever, I have to say. This is what I learned from her. There is either prescriptive hierarchy or descriptive hierarchy. Mm. So prescriptive hierarchy is, and I might be getting confusing it because I do this all the time with words, but prescriptive hierarchy is when you, this is it. This person is coming first. Nothing is changeable. Like, Mm -hmm. take it or leave it. Whereas descriptive hierarchy is just describing the situation. Okay. And that is what I'm in. Where, Mm -hmm. yes, functionally, my partner and his wife are primary partners, but Mm -hmm. I am not treated emotionally like I am not first. Mm. Yeah. Not first, but equal. Yeah. Like, it's very equitable. I like that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how we approach it, too, because I remember in the beginning when I learned about polyamory, I use the terms primary and secondary because that's what I had read about yeah. it was that, you know, if you practice hierarchical, you know, maybe you're married, there was an established relationship and now you're both dating separate people. You guys are primaries, the others are secondaries. Mm-hmm. That's how I learned about it. But then having gotten into the relationship now and seeing, you know, how him and her communicate and operate and then him and I, I'm like, well, I really don't feel as if she's secondary. I still feel like she's very equal in like the love that he gives her Mm -hmm. and the emotional support and everything. It just happens to be, you know, him and I make financial decisions together because we're married. Exactly. Yeah, but it's uh, as if everything else comes second with her. So those terms, sometimes I struggle with a little bit because I feel like there are better ways to describe it. And once you're in it, then you realize we don't have to use those terms or maybe they don't apply exactly to us in the way that they're meant to just because you know, we can still have things, certain parts of Mm -hmm. it that are equal and maybe other things that are not. So I like that. Prescriptive and descriptive. So just like my partner and I don't want to live together, but we are trying to figure out a way where we could live, say, closer. So it's easier to see each other all the time. And that is, it's actually funny. This is something that's beginning to happen is everyone thinks I want to be my partner's wife. Oh. (laughs) I keep getting 
comments and stories about it, everyone's like, well, I hope you're in his will. Or like, Mm. somebody recently said I was a second-class citizen in my relationship. I saw your post on that. (laughs) I was appalled. Absolutely appalled. I think you replied to it, Yeah, I did. Because it was like, I'm not. Like, do you really think in my heart of hearts, I am putting myself in a situation where I am just pining and cooking and cleaning for these two people? And (laughs) we'll talk about the racial dynamic too. I'm I'm Afro-Latina. And Ooh. my partner is white. His wife is white. So somebody literally was, how do you reconcile that? And they, he shares all of these privileges financially and blah, blah, blah with her. And I'm like, why are you assuming I want these things? Yeah. Mm-hmm. First of all, my partner is about 10 years older than me. So we are in two different places in our life. And two, like... You can take care of yeah, yourself. Yeah, I can take care of myself. <laughs> yeah. also, You're a bad bitch. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, um... <laughs> But also, do you really think I'm like cooking and cleaning for them? And yeah, like, exactly. just like weeping at her feet, just dreaming of the day like she dies in some sudden car accident. And you get to so take I a get spot. To be, yeah, no. No. Yeah. no. I am happy with my life. Also, people telling me, oh, I hope you're in as well. We've been dating for two years. Mm-hmm. Why would I be in as well? Yeah. yeah. Also, if he passes away, his business partner gets most of the stuff. Like yeah. people really don't take these things into account. And it's very interesting how they keep projecting. But I just wanted to say that because it's, it's when we talk about the relationship escalator, which mm-hmm. is, I think, always important to talk about when we talk about non-monogamy and oh, the relationship sure. escalator, essentially, for anyone who doesn't know, are these prescribed ways we're supposed to move about relationships and mm-hmm. thus our lives. Yeah. Where it's going on a date, sexual and romantic exclusivity, moving in together, combining finances, getting married, having kids, buying a house, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, mm-hmm. the cookie cutter checkbox. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that isn't for everyone. And I think a lot of people project that that needs to happen. And mm-hmm. I think even people in monogamous relationships don't always want that. Yeah. Not a lot of people want to have kids. Not a lot of people want to get married. For people who are on disability, they actually can't get married without losing, certain people can't get married without losing their life-saving benefits. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it's not possible or desired for everyone. You know, and I think yeah. in my education, for me, it's really about showing people that there are alternative life structures, mm-hmm. not just this is the right way. Or yeah. like monogamy is bad. I think monogamy is a beautiful choice. No, I agree. And and that's, you know, one thing that I always talk about too is it doesn't have to be for everyone, but I wish people would take a minute to be like, what works best for me and how can I apply that to my life, you know, mm-hmm. in a way that's healthy and, you know, benefits, you know, not only but me, but, you know, in a good way to my partners and whatnot. So uh, we kind of went through the same thing where we checked all those boxes. Mm-hmm. We went on a date, sexual exclusivity. We moved in together, everything. Mm-hmm. And then we were kind of like, why did we do all that? Yeah. To be honest. And we tell people all the time, we're like, you don't need to get married. And they're mm-hmm. like, aren't you married? And then we're like, yeah, but it's not really necessary. And like, if you want kids and, and you want that whole monogamy, feel, that's fine. If, if that's really, truly what you want, totally fine. But we looked at it and we were like, there was no need. We just did it because we felt it was mm-hmm. the right thing to do because everyone around us was doing it. When I asked my partner why he got married, that was the answer. Yeah, it that was, was for their we, family. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I always say weddings are for the families. Yeah. I was in the events industry for four years and weddings are absolutely for the families. Yeah. Just you to, don't enjoy your yeah. time. <laughs> no. <laughs> the couple is so stressed. Yeah. They have to say hi to everybody. I don't know. I know for me, when I explain Nikki's structure mm-hmm. to somebody, I remember someone one time made the comment, the second person that's joining this marriage is basically a fool. And I'm like, 
Why? Why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> Why would you say that? They're making this decision to be with this person for them because they like it. And they don't need to have, you know, like the end game of getting married doesn't have to be on the table for it to mm-hmm. be a healthy, loving relationship. So whenever they said that, I'm like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Why are they a fool? I think honestly, people just get really caught up on the resources aspect. Exactly. Of it. And the, I guess the tax bracket. Yeah, sure. I guess it helps. I but- mean, I've been considering getting married to someone just because when you... <laughs> In New York City, at least, when you get over six figures, if you get married, you and that other person will save $1,000 a month. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a lot of money. So that is a reason to get married. Relationships, for some reason, are seen as so Mm results-driven. And this is where capitalism comes in. Oh. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) It's truly that if I'm not getting something out of this and it's not ending in this specific way, what the fuck is the point? Exactly. And that's not not about love. Yeah, it's not about love. It's not about your feelings for this person. It is about, like you said, resources. And I think we've brought capitalism into our relationships, which, I mean, marriage is a product of capitalism. And looking into the history of it is really, it helps you understand why. Mm -hmm. Non-monogamy is a good option for so many people. When people are like, oh, this person is a fool. It's like, well, I can have my own assets and everything alone. Mm -hmm. And I can also share them with people. Just the fact that it's not in legal tape doesn't mean anything. If my partner passes away, I don't need the financial support because I am in charge of myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was in a relationship for three years, engaged for another year and a half-ish. And when our engagement ended and, you know, it didn't end in marriage, I suddenly looked at marriage and I was, I don't need this piece of paper to tell me I'm with this person or that I love them you know, and I can take care of myself financially. I have for a very long time. Now I look at it as, will I ever get married? I don't know. But I Mm -hmm. think I can, I'm still going to be a happy individual whether I do or not. I want a partner, but I don't need that piece of paper to tell me, okay, Mm -hmm. you're together. Yeah. I think a lot of people, they don't do that inner work that grants them security. Oh, absolutely. Within themselves and their partnerships. So that's why it's like, well, you have to get married. We're in the reality of it. And this is something my partner has told me. I think they've been married for two, three years. He said, being married has shown me how fragile marriage is and how Mm -hmm. much of a false sense of security it is. Because Mm -hmm. you can just get divorced. It might take a while, depending on how much you have tied up. But It costs a lot. It costs a lot of money. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I walked by the little divorce center and it said $3.99. And I know it's just for like... uh, That's just for like your regular... It's probably to sign one paper. Exactly. (laughs) Or per paper. Yeah. But it's expensive and it is like a way to stop you from making that snap judgment. But really, any marriage can end. Mm -hmm. But all relationships end. I think that's really the hard part that people don't want to acknowledge. Right. All relationships end either... Someone dies or someone leaves. Yeah. And that's okay. And a lot of people ask me, aren't you afraid of your partner being taken away by somebody or something similar like that? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, why would I want to make him stay? Yeah. If he doesn't want to be with me. That's a common question. And we get that all the time too. They're like, aren't you afraid he's going to leave you for someone else? I had made a comment about this once. I'm like, if it's his choice to go be with someone else, that's his choice. Yeah. What am I going to do? You know, of course I would be sad, but like, A, I wouldn't take it personally. B, I understand that like as a human, he has the ability to make that choice for himself. Do I think he would still choose me? And because of the partnership that we have and the connection that we've built? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But you know, hence why we practice Mm non-monogamy because we can understand that we can have 
multiple connections and, and still have our partnership even with those other connections. But I don't understand why everyone seems to think that that's how you're going to keep them is by trapping them in a marriage and, you know, that or they're not going to go A away. monogamous yeah. relationship. Like, yeah. unless you have a tracker on your partner, you don't know what they're doing all the time. Yeah, exactly. When they go out with their friends or when they say they're at work, maybe they're with somebody else. Like, you have to trust that either mm-hmm. things are going to go well or they're not. I think a lot of the work people avoid in relationships is being emotionally prepared Yeah. if things go wrong. Oh, yeah. And I think maybe some people might respond and be like, well, that means you have one foot out the door and it's not. It's no. just I'm happy with myself. Yeah, exactly. I always say, at least with non-monogamy, like that's where it starts is from within. Yeah. Like finding security and self-love and self-forgiveness. When you achieve those things is when you start kind of to break past the molds of society and see mm-hmm. like, okay, I can make these choices for myself and, you know, figure out the things that work best for me, what I truly want, what makes me happy, and then apply however, you know, you want to from there moving forward. You get to design your life the way you want it to be. Yeah. I may be a little bit dramatic, but sometimes I see certain relationships I have and I see that, oh, you're right, you don't get to keep someone forever. I always look at it as I'm walking my path and someone may cross that path with me and walk mm-hmm. with me for a little bit, but they're eventually going to go off on their own. And I remember I one time texted my dom and I told him I was for whatever time I get to keep you I am happy for it Mm -hmm. because I realized that there's always an expiration date on everything yeah so it might sound a little dramatic as I'm like I'm weeping the loss of someone before it even happens but in reality I'm just like trying to you know take care of my emotions and process them and be like okay reality check Mm -hmm. it's not always going to be forever there is an expiration date so yeah someone's gonna die yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's, no matter what, there's going to be an ending. She and I are very attached to each other, so we don't like that topic. <laughs> no, no, I get that. I totally do. I think I've just part of, I don't know, my journey has been releasing yeah. these things. Because I think building yourself as a human and like building your confidence, your sense of self is releasing whatever doesn't serve you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like sounds very woo-woo. But like... No, it's true. I'm letting go of these thoughts and like I have an anxiety disorder I have depression so I coach myself a lot mentally to get out of those ruts and I've just learned why would I have to get married I've always been of the opinion personally like if I did get married I would do a private ceremony with my partner Mm -hmm. because I feel like it's kind of embarrassing to be like I love you so much in front of like all (laughs) your favorite people (laughs) to prove to them that (laughs) yeah I don't want to you may kiss the bride (laughs) like a full on smooch yeah like I'd rather like go sweetie very nice very nice um (laughs) I'd rather yeah share my vows privately and have a party later like that Mm -hmm. makes so much more sense and is less expensive and it Mm. means more i'm curious do you date monogamous people or have you mainly dated people that are polyamorous or i stopped dating uh, monogamous people simply for the fact that um i'm already an educator i don't really want to be educating that much in my relationships Mm -hmm. but um it's a lot of it's just a lot of labor it is um if someone is Previous, like, has been monogamous. Basically, I have to date someone who is open to non monogamy. Mm -hmm. If they are personally monogamous, that's fine, but someone has to understand my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, dating someone who is monogamous, I don't know if that would make sense simply for the fact that I don't want a primary partner. Mm -hmm. And I think if I dated someone monogamous, that would not be ideal for them. Mm unless they wanted to live alone and live that solo lifestyle. 
but it's a lot to deal with. I've dated a lot of men specifically who were just like trying to save me from being like, <laughs> you just haven't found the right man. And yeah. I'm like, I, I think I have. And it's not you. <laughs> um, or like I was dating this guy once very briefly and he was like, well, I have enough self-confidence that I'm not worried about your boyfriend. And I'm like, okay. That's an ego thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think you do. Yeah, I'm like, I don't. Okay, cool. <laughs> that didn't wow. last long. So mostly that. And right now I'm mostly dating like other femmes or like queer people. So I think when you date queer people, there is more of an openness as oh, opposed absolutely. to dating like cishet men. Yeah. Which is... A whole nother thing. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I have dated a lot of monogamous men and, and I understand the, mm-hmm. the saving, the savior piece of it because so many of them are just, they seem to think that I'm just doing this because we're slowly growing apart. Uh-huh. My husband and I, and eventually I'll divorce him and, you know, we'll part our ways and I'll find someone else. And I'm like, no, like that's not it, dude. I don't, mm-hmm. I've considered stopping dating monogamous or at least they have to meet like a very strict criteria of how they accept and understand it at yeah. least. Like I don't mind teaching them a little bit about it, but if they're not open to it from the sense of like they can't understand at least, you know, like the logic and the emotions behind it, then I'm like, we're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, and it's honestly belittling of you. Yeah. I was having this conversation with Bridget, Alex's wife, and she got that reception a lot from men as if they were feeling bad for her or like, I don't know, they didn't get it or it would get to a point where they were just sad that they couldn't have her. Mm -hmm. She dates other men as well? She dates men. She has a boyfriend. Okay. Basically, her and Alex met their partners, respective partners, around Mm -hmm. the same time. Oh, nice. So she met her current partner in March, and Mm -hmm. Alex met me in June. So So is that two Vs, like a W? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually. um, (laughs) Polycule? Yeah, it's a polycule. It's like a little family. This Saturday, actually, Alex and Jeff, Bridget's partner, went golfing. Oh, I (laughs) love that. And her and I got brunch, and we, like, went to the Greenpoint Market. We just— That's amazing. Stuff like that. Because— I don't know. I practice kitchen table polyamory where essentially we can sit around the kitchen table and like mm-hmm. yeah, we are fine with going on trips together or like we go to dinner a lot. So the way that works best for me because I really love and cherish the idea of found family mm-hmm. and creating those structures and having those people around you that are great for you. But at the same time, I mean, I have like radical politics and I think non-monogamy fits into it, but mm-hmm. I see non-monogamy as a form of like mutual aid. Mm-hmm. Say like Bridget's boyfriend. Mm. He owns a studio. Yeah, Yeah, I'm like, Uh I don't know. (laughs) That's when it's getting a little too far. But Bridget's boyfriend owns a studio, and like for some of my work, I might need stuff like that. And he's like, "Well, you're. I'm happy to like ever host an event for you or whatever stuff like that." So we have those resources within our network that maybe people wouldn't have. My partner has a car, so when the pandemic began, he would drive us to Wegmans if we needed to get things. It's also like I have a really good friend who I consider almost a platonic partner at this point. Mm -hmm. And she is part of our polycule essentially. Oh, nice. And like my roommate who is a family member, I feel like we are all this kind of extended family because Mm -hmm. we've created this network of resources. Right. And those resources sometimes are just love and affection, but other times it's knowledge hey, can someone watch my cat? Yeah. Those very logistical things because a lot of people see mutual aid as money, which it is a lot of the time and those tangible resources, but it is like picking someone's kids up from school or all of that. Yeah, it's funny, you know, I guess talking about resources because we were just talking about how people look at marriage as the one way to kind of basically gather and Mm -hmm. maintain these resources. But I've always looked at it the same way. In polyamory or non-monogamy, 
if everyone's good and getting along and it's like a family, it's a network, then yeah, you have even more access to resources. We made a joke on one of the episodes where it'll be me and my three tech dudes one day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I looked at it in the sense and I'm like, I don't understand why people don't see that that's still a way to have resources, yeah. you know, in a partnership. And family. Yeah, just mm-hmm. because it's not necessarily bound by the government in the form of a marriage doesn't mean that those resources aren't there and available. I mean, my husband's girlfriend, she's watched my dogs. We've, you know, done things for her. Like mm-hmm. she comes on trips. So that's very similar to kind of you guys. Mm-hmm. It's very integrated. It's very much a family and I feel like there's plenty of resources to go around. Yeah, and also there's that meme, um, the only way you can afford rent in New York City is by like having an eight-person polycule. <laughs> but like, <laughs> yep, <laughs> saw that on Twitter. Like we're contemplating pooling our funds in yeah. a few years to maybe like buy a townhouse or something mm-hmm. so like we can live separately but together mm-hmm. because that makes the most sense for not only our situations like romantically but financially like Mm -hmm. my partner and his wife were looking for a condo and everything was so small for so much money Mm -hmm. so it's real estate what are you gonna talk about that Mm -hmm. all the time yeah we've talked about like if we just got a big or you know a good sized house where the four of us could live me my husband his girlfriend Mm -hmm. And then maybe we have a little condo somewhere else for like when someone needs to use that for like their own space. Like, you know, what can we do if we just pool everything together? You never know. Yeah, you just got to make an LLC. Literally, literally, (laughs) like we've been thinking about it because it's funny that two year mark is when you normally would be like, we're probably moving in together Mm -hmm. this next year. For me, it would be. I've never lived with a partner. My partner... And I are experiencing that, but also my partner's wife and her boyfriend are experiencing that. Yeah. We're like, this is not what we're doing. So like, how do we find that? How do we make it work? Level of closeness. And people are always like, how does it work? You figure it out. Yeah. You and talk. Like, <laughs> it sounds very lofty, but that's really what it is. You figure it out. Trial and error. Mm-hmm. People Try ask me about, they're like, well, what is it? How does the financial aspect of going on dates? It's like, I don't know, man. Like, Someone slap like, a card down. Do you have the money? <laughs> so me and my partner go proportionally off of what we make. He pays mostly for everything mm-hmm. because it makes more sense for him to pay for mostly everything. And like I'll throw him money mm-hmm. for it. And like the same thing with everybody else. Like, I don't know. People, I think, make all the little problems that they can think of into bigger problems. Or seem like, complicated when yeah, they're really like, not. Just talk about it. Yeah. But honestly, so I do peer support. I'll help people talk about their relationships and stuff or like work through certain problems kind of like as a friend. I tell them, I'm telling you what I would tell my friend in this situation. And it's usually like, have you said what you feel? Mm -hmm. I think people are really afraid of the backlash or the truth Mm -hmm. and what that means. Yeah. And the reaction that Mm -hmm. like when you talk about it, how someone will react. Yeah. And I think, what we've learned from monogamy is that we do hide a lot. Yeah. We hide our feelings. In hiding our feelings and desires, we get really afraid to lose someone because our eggs are all in one basket. Mm-hmm. So it's like, maybe I'm not happy with the fact that your job will take you somewhere and I don't want to move there. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to say that because that means our relationship will end. Mm-hmm. Whereas you can exist in that truth and know that maybe your relationship has an expiration date mm-hmm. and just enjoy it while it's there. Yeah. We're not taught to be prepared for that. Yeah. And I went through that in my relationship with my ex-fiance because I always wanted to move out of Kansas. I was mm-hmm. there for four years and absolutely hated it. And he liked Kansas. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. well, 
this needs to mm-hmm. progress somehow. Mm-hmm. And I moved and he was supposed to follow me. And mm-hmm. as soon as I moved, he realized I can't do this. Yeah. And when we broke up, we both looked at each other and we were like, we're just meant to be friends. Yeah. We spent that whole time in our relationship basically just living in this false sense of truth or security where we're like, oh, you know, we can't have these conversations. I think you're completely mm-hmm. right. I think a lot of people, they get into a marriage and then they don't really actually communicate what they want or what they need. And then, mm-hmm. you know, they don't give themselves that space to consider, okay, well, maybe this might not work out at this point when we reach this point. So mm-hmm. That's why the most important thing I think is being intentional about who you're dating, what you want, defining what you want before you get into these situations. So mm-hmm. I call it like intention setting or intentionally dating. And um, when I was on Red Table Talk, we did talk about this. It's like choosing monogamy because a lot of people don't want to. They just mm-hmm. think that's the only option. So then that's why people cheat or that's why people, I don't know, start to be disloyal or like detach from a relationship because they're mm-hmm. desiring something and your partner's supposed to give you everything you need. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not realistic. Absolutely. I think it's way too much to place it on one person mm-hmm. to take care of all your needs. In growing in non-monogamy, what I've appreciated is that we've both realized, okay, we can take care of our own needs, like our own happiness, go pursue those things. And that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that it takes away from what the two of us do, you know, as a couple. Just because we take care of ourselves does not mean that we don't care about each other. And I think that's something that more people could benefit from if, again, just kind of stepped out of the of the box of what that's supposed to look like. You know, you're supposed to take care of your partner's needs when you're married. Like, you're the one person, you know, everything, sex, love, emotional intimacy, you know, mental stimulation, everything. And it's like, that's a lot to put on a person. Mm-hmm. So, well, and I remember Nikki's husband last night, he was talking to one of our friends about their non-monogamous relationship. And he was like, the sex Nikki likes, I just can't give that to her all the time. <laughs> and he gets that. So I go get it somewhere else. I mean, even like my partner right now, he's, if I want to like have a dom every night, like I got to outsource that. Yeah, like, exactly. We were talking about it. He was like, I can do it like maybe once a month. And I'm like, that's fine. Like you have a physically demanding job. Again, <laughs> not wanting to beat someone up every night. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always say everybody should have at least one hoe phase before they get married. Oh, 100%. Whenever I see like friends and maybe their younger siblings are getting married and I just, I look at their age and I'm like, okay, okay. did they have a hoe phase? Yeah. And they're like, uh, I don't know. And I'm like, I hope they did. But I think it's very important to give yourself that freedom Experiment. To find what you like. Yeah. Like, yeah, find what you like. Absolutely. Because that takes time. Even now at 27, I just recently discovered some kinks. And I'm like, I did not know I had the mm-hmm. capacity for this. But guess what? It's a kink. So, which mm-hmm. I meant to ask because you mentioned Domstab. Are you into the kinky world? Yeah, I, I identify as switchy. <gasps> I, uh, I'm a yeah. switch too. Kimmy's so, a sub. I'm a switch. So, um, <laughs> actually, like, now I am very much narrowing down, okay, I'm not really interested in like mask people right now, but there is one very specific thing that I'm looking for. For me, I'm just looking for femmes, but like that one specific thing is switch for switch. Because I, I was dating like a dom-leaning mask person mm-hmm. and I'm sub-leaning. So like the fact that we were both switches introduced this very interesting and like fun dynamic. Love that. Of going back and forth and playing with those roles. Yeah. Oh, that's great. In thinking about this, 
because I know, you know, for us, part of the why, part of why we started non-monogamy was because we noticed that we liked different things in bed. And, you know, so he was more than happy to let me go explore the Dom Sub, whereas he's not very much into that. So for you, what was your why or what do you think continues to be your why in all of this? Well, the way I phrase it is it's just like my sexuality. Mm -hmm. It's not that I am specifically into men and women and other people of other genders. I don't want to deny myself Mm -hmm. something that feels natural. Yeah. So if I go out tomorrow and I meet someone and I fall in love, I want to be able to explore that. Mm -hmm. And that's really it. I just want to live my life to the fullest extent. And... I don't want to close that door of my romantic or sexual experience with other people because that is highly valuable to me and how I relate. I love that. I definitely agree with that as well because that's kind of how I looked at it also was granted my husband, you know, didn't want to explore the dom sub things, but I didn't want to have to limit myself in that way. And honestly, it gave me so much appreciation for him as a person to be like, I recognize that and we can each go explore things that we want. And I think people would be happier, honestly, if they took the time to kind of have that perspective about how they approach life and things. It's not so much, you know, how it's supposed to go, the natural trajectory of things, but rather what is going to allow you to live your life to the fullest so that you don't feel restricted. You don't feel like you missed out on something. You took every chance you had. I wish people approached it that way. Yeah, I shaped my whole life that way. Honestly, I'm a freelancer and I do that to take into account for the fact that my illnesses are often disabling. Yeah. And the same thing with my partnership. I only have one serious partner right now and him having to deal with the full weight of my mental illness sometimes Mm -hmm. is very difficult. Yeah. So spreading that out to, yes, friends, but also other partners is very rewarding because, you know, sometimes he's having a bad day and I'm having a bad day. Yeah. (laughs) And like... It's always chaos. (laughs) Who's going to deal with that? No, we're just going to cry at each other. Yeah. Um, And get frustrated. Yeah. Actually, I was talking to my therapist recently because we are, like everybody in our polycule, is just having a rough time in our lives. Not necessarily with the relationships, but she was like, have you considered family therapy just to like kind of Oh, everyone together? Yeah. How we are coping with all these various changes. Yeah. Because it's just like all of our lives are changing. Obviously, the pandemic really just did a number on everyone. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. I was like, that actually might be nice. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Is your therapist, when you were looking for him or her, Mm -hmm. were they someone that understood or was open to or aware of non-monogamy? Yeah, I've been really lucky because I have a very specific criteria for my therapist. Okay. I have to speak to another woman of color. Okay. And then someone who is not going to judge me for my sexuality or my lifestyle. And both of my therapists have been queer black women who are non-monogamous. Oh, beautiful. Which is wild because finding black therapists alone is a lot but there's actually a there's a directory of like poly-friendly therapists and if you look on psychology today you can look for lgbtq affirming like i think they might have kink affirming therapists all of that so they also have i think non-monogamy as a term you can put in nice i love that no i think that's great and could be a great resource, but also to think of everyone going together like little polycules with the therapist. That's awesome. It's a family. It is a family. <laughs> we talk about going to therapy together all the time. Yeah. yeah and I like, mean, we're not, I mean, obviously we're family, but you know, we're you not. Like, in a, yeah. Being together for, you both are 27? 
Yeah, 27. Yeah, being together for 27 years, there's stuff to unpack there. <laughs> yeah. I oh, think for sure. Everyone needs therapy. Like everyone in my polycule has been to individual therapy, Alex and Bridget. Yeah. Everybody else except for me has been to couples therapy at some point. Yeah. So I'm all for it. I'm like, talk about your feelings. Let's go. <laughs> we always talk very openly mm-hmm. within each other, no matter who's around, and especially like about our feelings. Like, we'll get in fights in front of people. Like, you're making me upset right now. Well, you need to calm down. (laughs) Things like that we're not afraid to do. So sometimes, like... I think people get thrown off by it a lot, to be honest. Oh, my God, yeah. I still even talk to people who I'm very familiar with who are non-monogamous and very comfortable with it. We'll be in public and they'll be like, (laughs) I'm like, it's not a secret. Yeah. Alex and Bridget get into fights in front of me all the time. Yeah. Oh, I mean, my husband and I get in fights in front of his girlfriend. They get in fights in front of me and like, you know. So most recently, they were just got into like a little tiff that like blew out of proportion and I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, if I leave the living room, I might make this a bigger problem. Yeah. But one, I don't know if I want to be here. And then at one point, he was just kind of exacerbating the issue and I went, hey, take it down. <laughs> and then he just oh. like got quiet and then he started like, angrily doing the dishes. Yeah. <laughs> then, then I eventually did go into the bedroom and they like were talking. And later she was Gabby with the assist though. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, sometimes they'll fight. Like her <laughs> and her husband will be fighting and maybe she'll say something and I'm just like, hey, Nikki, that was out of line. Yeah. You need to calm down. Yeah. You just need like a little like, because he <laughs> like, was just like bringing it all the way up to here and it didn't need to be there. And I'm like, I don't know what you want to get out of this. It's always nice to have a mediator, I yeah. would say. <laughs> oh, it is. Um, I guess kind of the last question mm-hmm. would be normalizing polyamory and non-monogamy. Kind of what do you think that looks like or how do you feel it should be approached? I mean, I think even if every dating app just gave us filters or options to figure it out. But honestly, just I think it would create a more open society because you cannot deal happily in non-monogamy and not deal with your feelings Mm -hmm. and not deal with your trauma and not deal with those ugly feelings. Yeah. You really have to explore and discover yourself. So I think it would just look like people understanding each other a lot more and being happier. Yeah. So I think, you know, the systems at work, quote unquote, is really what is kind of suppressing our happiness and our desires. Because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, if you are making an argument for anything, monogamy is less natural. It's like in, I think, 2% of animals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think really we would just have more families. Yeah. And different families. We'd have better communities. I think so too. And I think we would just be happier because people could be true with their feelings and desires and like we lose that zero-sum scarcity mentality where it's all or nothing right and I think that's really where people struggle like people are always like friends with benefits never works out because Mm -hmm. someone catches feelings but the reality is it's not catching the feelings that's the issue it's what you do with them right and that's where people run into I think a lot of issues it always bothers me when people say friends with benefits can't work because I had two very great friends with benefits relationship. One was about a year. The other was about three years. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. And at the end, it just ended and it was fine. Yeah, we it made sense. Happy. You know, we were all just like, cool, that's what it was. And 
and we moved on and yeah there were feelings here and there but kind of like what you said what you do with them mm-hmm. so you know we just worked through them and, and got past it and continued on however we wanted to and then eventually they ended just because of natural things mm-hmm. so when it comes to the topic as a whole you know kind of what we were touching on sporadically throughout I think if everyone just kind of did a little bit more of that inner work yeah about finding their happiness then maybe then they can figure out what is going to be best for their lifestyle but I, I love the poly educators because yeah. y'all are the best. Yes. You have the best memes also. And I just love reposting, you know, the content because it's like, okay, all of my friends need to read this. Yeah. Like, even though I've no, actually never been in a poly relationship, but I'm definitely an advocate mm-hmm. for it right. and an ally because I would want that one day. And I think love is love is love. And we should all be open to these different ways of living so that nobody's excluded. Yeah, it's like same dick forever. Like, that's really... (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) Which is like fine, I think. But like just how that's kind of a thing or like bachelorette parties, like it's your last hurrah. Yeah, I'm like, I hate that. Why? Yeah. I was telling Nikki, I was if I'm ever going to get married, I'm not having a bachelorette party that's going to be like last time, you, you know have fun or whatever. It's going to be like the continuation of fun. Yeah. We're going to keep going. Actually, we'll all go to the strip club together. Like my partner will be here. We will celebrate this all together. (laughs) It's going to be an orgy at one point. It's going to be so fun. Mm -hmm. I guess one final question. Are there any particular pieces in your work that you recommend for anyone who's new to non-monogamy or, you know, has just a curiosity about it in general? Yeah, my first kind of what type of non-monogamy is for you workshop is Mm going to be on September 23rd. Oh, nice. But it's going to be monthly and I'm going to like tier the dates or the time. So it kind of serves different time zones. Okay. Very nice. So it's basically an introduction to like the types, some considerations to make and everything. I do peer support, but also if you go on my Instagram at by Gabrielle Smith, B-Y Gabrielle Smith. And you click on the link, it has the Red Table Talk I did on polyamory where me and my partner spoke to Willow and Jada and Gammy about it. And it was interesting. Very respectful conversation, which was nice. And then I wrote a piece for Field. Oh, Field. The app? Yeah, Yeah. the app. Essentially, what those considerations that will be at my workshop. Perfect. And then I wrote a how-to for Shape. So it's all in there. Lots Um, of resources, yes. Yeah, ByGabrielleSmith.com is basically where you can find most of my stuff. I was reading through some of your articles and stuff that you had posted on there. So yeah, that's Thank awesome. You. And I mean, well, for anyone in the poly or non-monogamy community, we think people like you for doing, you know, this kind of work and putting those resources out there. And and I and I think that's what's going to help it all in the end is the more of us that just kind of try to help people mm-hmm. understand and see kind of the different perspectives of it, then maybe they can be open-minded, even if they're not going to apply it to their lives. That way, you know, we can all just live happily. How yeah, more to. free. <laughs> more free. therapy, guys, yes. please. If you can't afford it, there's a therapist probably who will... Yeah. Lower their fees for you. Or therapy books, you know. Or books. Yeah, books written by therapists. Lots of stuff out there. Journaling. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, journaling. Yes, absolutely. One of my favorites. I write everything down. So do I. I It helps. It's therapeutic. But thank you for coming on today. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a wonderful conversation. This was nice. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it as well. Okay. Well, Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We hope to see you next week. So, And don't forget to check out Gabrielle on Instagram. Give her a follow as well by Gabrielle Smith. And then 
obviously we've got ours at Double Team Podcast. So you guys have a great rest of your day. Wear condoms. Please. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing we always end with is wear condoms. Wear a condom, get tested every three months if you're sexually active. <gasps> yep. That's how I do it too, every mm-hmm. three months. Yep, that's how it goes. CDC Perfect. recommends. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. All right, bye everybody. We'll see you next time.